Uh, we're going to go ahead and turn our Bibles to Matthew 27. As we come into Matthew 27, verse 45, I'd like us to think about the death of Jesus Christ. During the three hours which the darkness continued, Jesus was in agony, wrestling with the powers of darkness, to us that have read through that account, suffering his father's displeasure against the sin of man. And really what he's doing is making his soul an offering for us. When I look at a verse like Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, And she shall bring forth the Son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So when we think about the death of Jesus Christ, when we think about Christ being crucified for us, and we think about these hours of darkness that we're speaking of here this morning, Never were there such hours the day God created man upon the earth. Never such a dark and awful scene. It was the turning point of the great affair, man's redemption and salvation. When I think about how a man can be born again, we realize it is by us putting our faith by the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring us to the understanding of what Christ has done for us, what we owe to Christ. You owe him your life. He is the one that delivers us from the wrath to come. Some people say, well, I don't believe that God is going to turn wrath against his man that he has created in his image but yet the bible makes it very clear to only us that have been born again regenerated by the holy spirit are we going to be delivered from the wrath to come the wrath of god will come the bible makes that very clear it will come upon every man that is turned away from christ decided to do it their own way apart from christ which makes it an absolute impossibility for man to do such a thing. But when God steps into your life and brings you into his story, you and I understand that we have been delivered from the wrath to come. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which was delivered us from the wrath to come. The Bible also says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, For God hath not appointed us, a believer, to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it very clear that God did that before the foundation of the world. So you and I that have been truly born again according to the word of God, you and I have been given a new heart, we're a new creature, we're a new creation. We have been forgiven of all our sins, for Christ came to die for us to bear our sins upon his cross at Calvary. 
And so when we draw our mind into this thought of the crucifixion, when we realize the importance of the crucifixion and realize all this was done before the foundation of the world, that God is playing out his story, the book that he wrote, and he gives us a description of this time when Christ was upon the cross. And when we think about Christ being upon the cross, we realize that there is a purpose for it. He came to die for his people. He did not come to die for people in the sense whether or not they would come or they wouldn't come. He came with a purpose to die for us. The word for in the Greek means in behalf of. That means when Christ went to the cross, he went to die for me. Because this is what the word of God says. And so when we look in our text, and we're going to pick up here at verse 45 in Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. That's from noon to 3 p.m. The darkness is so thick you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. And that's something to think about. Luke records in Luke chapter 23, verse 44, and it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. I want you to realize that the darkness that we're speaking of here covered the whole world. I don't know about you, but that's quite a darkness. But I want you to understand that there is a purpose for the darkness, and I think we can see it here laid out for us in the scripture Because when you see this darkness, you realize no man could look upon the most perfect sacrifice ever given by God, which was himself in Christ to die for us. The God incarnate, the one that came to earth to save sinners from their sins, died for us. He died in our behalf. He paid our debt in full. He took all our sin and put it upon him and bore it at Calvary. Because every sin that a man commits must be judged. And you and I that have been born again, we have been judged in the sense that Christ bore our sins at Calvary and he imputed his righteousness, his life for us. That's what makes us new creatures. So when we look at the darkness here, this is the perfect sacrifice. This is the sacrifice God was going to do from the very beginning. God knew where man would be at this point. God appointed a time for Christ to come and die upon a cross at Calvary. He appointed the time that this darkness would cover the whole world. He appointed a time for a Savior to come to save a people from their sins. God did this. God is sovereign in all these things. God has a purpose for everything that is done under the sun. That's like you and I. We know that God has a purpose for our life. I am alive today because God has a purpose for my life, and I want to be utilized for the glory of God. I want to be obedient to this Christ who died for me. While I was yet a sinner, he died for me with purpose and with intent. And so the Bible says here, if you move in your text, verse 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, this is Christ, Jesus Christ, the God-man, the creator and sustainer of all things, cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabathiane, think about it, this is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Eli, Eli is Hebrew. The rest is Aramaic. That's important to see that. I mean, the cry fulfills 
the verse there in, in uh, Psalm 22, verse 1, that if you and I have read that chapter there in Psalm 22, is a description of the crucifixion yet not come. And now we have a fulfillment of what was written in Psalm 22. One of the many parallels between that psalm, the specific events of the crucifixion are laid out for us in Psalm 22, but they were also laid out for us in Isaiah 53. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Our word bruise means crush him. Lord is Yahweh, crushed his son. Now I want you to understand that. The Bible says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him or crush him. He had put him to grief, God did this, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, and he shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Christ came with one purpose to save a people from their sin. When you and I have been born again, Christ came to save our wretched soul from our sin. That means that you and I, Christ bore our sin at Calvary. Every last sin we'll ever commit, the past, the present, and the future sin, to bring us one day into glory. That is the glorification. That is the final aspect of salvation. Christ did that for us. And here is the perfect sacrifice laid out for us very clearly because this is the whole purpose of his life. He came to save us. And God the Father sent his only begotten son. Remember the word only begotten is his one and only son. That's what it means to be the only begotten. There was only one, it was Christ. Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other salvation apart from Christ. There is no other ism that will save you. There is no other religion that will save you for it is Christ plus nothing. How do we know that? The word of God makes it very clear to us. When we look at Christ at this moment, at this moment in the crucifixion, the darkness is over the land, over the whole world. He was experiencing the abandonment and the despair that resulted from the outpouring of divine wrath upon Christ as a sin bearer. This is divine wrath consuming the Son of God. The Bible says in Matthew 26, verse 39, and he went a little farther. This is prior to the crucifixion. Christ fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Even at that hour, Christ was going to fulfill exactly what he came to do, to die for us, to die for sinners, to redeem a people. We are truly been born again by Christ and him alone. That's why people say there's other ways that must get you to heaven. It can't be only Christ. I make it absolutely clear that there's only one way to heaven, and that is in Christ. There is no other door. He is the door. There is no other light. He is the light. He is the water. He is the water of life. How do we know that? The Bible makes it very clear. And so when we think about Christ dying upon this cross, and we think about the darkness that's come over the land, and we think about Jesus Christ being abandoned in despair with his father crushing him at Calvary for the sins of every one of us that have truly been born again, we can do nothing more than give glory to God for sending his only begotten son to redeem us such a wicked person as we. That is the word of God. That is what the Bible says. And what do we see here? What are they thinking around the cross at this time? In verse 47, some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, this man calleth for Elias. That's Elijah. In Mark chapter 15, verse 35, it says, and some of them that stood by, and when they heard it, 
said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come and take him down. I wonder to myself sometimes when you think about these men and they're running around and they're seeing the panic that's going on and they're realizing this isn't just a normal crucifixion. This is the Son of God. This is the one that is going to bore our sins. This is the one that's going to deliver us from the wrath to come. This is the Christ, the Son of God, the incarnation of God. And if he would have came down from that cross, where would they have been at that point? But we knew that there was a purpose for his life. He went to that cross with a purpose to redeem a people unto himself, to shed his precious blood for us, to die the death of death in Christ Jesus for us. So when you and I, we go about our business, we say, for I am a child of God, I'm a child of the king. He bore me, he took my sins, he took them away from me. He paid my penalty in full. And so when we think about that, we realize some of them thought for sure, this must be Elias. It must be him that's gonna come and save him. But he doesn't come. Why? Because he doesn't need to be saved. Christ has willingly laid down his life for us. The Bible says again in verse 48 and in our text, and straightway one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. Why did they do that? Fulfillment of biblical prophecy. The Bible says in Psalm 69 verse 21, and they gave me also gall for my meat and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. So when you think about a simple thought here in verse 48, he fulfilled a prophecy that was spoken of him again in Psalm 69, 21, and a counterpart there in Luke chapter 23, verse 36, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him vinegar, a fulfillment of biblical prophecy that was spoken of him 2,000 years before he came, fulfilled. But what does he say here? Then the rest said, think about those that are around the cross. Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Again, if you remember in verse 43, he said, he trusted in Matthew 27, verse 43, he trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The mockers around the cross, the ones that are laughing and mocking at him, those today that mock at our Christ and they laugh at him and they blaspheme that very name whereby you and I have been saved. We should be soldiers of the cross. We should not compromise. We should be found true to Christ no matter what may come our way and glorify God in every situation that we find ourselves. The Bible is very clear when you look here that they were mocking him. They were laughing at him. They were making fun of him. They were saying there's no way he will come down off of that cross but yes he would he would die upon that cross and he'd be raised the third day how do we know that the bible says so look at verse 50 jesus when he had cried again with a loud voice yielded up the ghost that means he died that means the son of god the incarnation of god jesus christ died upon that cross he died I want you to understand that because when you think about him dying, I want you to know this is the purpose of his life. This death of Christ was a voluntary act by Christ to die. 
How do we know that? Well, if you look in John chapter 10, verse 11, it says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He lays it down voluntarily. I lay it down voluntarily. I'm going to give my life for the sheep. If you are born again here today, Christ gave his life for you. He died upon that cross for you. When you look in John chapter 10, verse 15, the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus makes it very clear. I came with a purpose. I'm going to lay down my life voluntarily for the sheep whom the Father hath given me. We see it everywhere in Scripture. And so when you look at John chapter 10, verse 17, therefore doth my Father love me, that's God the Father, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. Voluntary act, one purpose, to die for us. So man laughs at Christians. They laugh at our Christ. They mock the very Christ that saved us from our sin, delivered us from the wrath to come. And they wonder why the wrath of God abideth upon the unbeliever. Because the Bible says the wrath of God abideth upon the unbeliever. So when you look here again in John chapter 10, verse 18, no man taketh it from me. He's talking about his life. No man taketh it from me. But I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This is the commandment I received of my father. That was Christ talking there in John chapter 10. Let's take it a step further. Let's go over to Romans chapter 8, verse 32. What is the purpose of his life? The Bible says, He that spared not his own son, God the Father, but delivered him up for us all. God the Father delivered up his own son for us all, believers. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now, when I look at the word of God here and he says he spared not his son, that means God the Father sent his only begotten son with one purpose. Thirty-three and a half years he'd live upon this earth. He would go to a Roman cross. Man would crucify him upon that Roman cross. God the Father would crush him at Calvary to pay the sin debt of every sin any believer ever will commit. And they were all placed on Christ at that moment. And he paid for it in full. The Bible says he offered once and for all. That's what the book of Hebrews says. And so when we look here, he says, again, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. God the Father sent his only begotten son to die on behalf of sinners as we, and to pay our debt in full, that every sin any man or any believer would ever commit would be given to Christ. And he bore that at Calvary that day. How can we say that he wasn't the one that came to seek and to save all that was lost. I think we can understand that. Look what he says here again in Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. It is God that justifies. And then in verse 34, he says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. Who's the us? Believers. Christ prays for believers only. He maketh intercession for us. 
And so when we think about that perfect sacrifice, when we think about Christ, he came to die for us. He rose again from the dead for us. That's why when a believer says, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I've given him my life. I want to lay down my life for Christ. I want to be faithful and obedient to him in every aspect of my life, whether it be in my job or in my home or in my everyday relationships. I want God to be glorified. I want Christ to be glorified. I want to be obedient and faithful because he died for me. He died and bore my sins at Calvary for me. And the purpose was there before the foundation of the world. We say to God be the glory. And what about this? The Bible says the Lamb's book of life was written. Yes, everyone the Father gave the Son will come to the Son. That's the whosoever's. Praise God for whosoever. Amen? Amen. And the Bible makes it very clear because when you and I look at verse 51 in our text, what do we see? And behold... The veil of the temple was rent in twain. Now see this. From the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. The veil that blocked the entrance to the most holy place has been ripped from top to bottom. Remember the Bible says there in Exodus chapter 26, verse 33, And thou shalt hang up the veil under the touches, and that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil of the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy place. This is the veil that separated God from sinful man. This is the veil that has been ripped from top to bottom. This is the veil the Bible talks about in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 2. The Bible says, For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the temple, which is called the holiness of all. That is the veil that has been rent. And in verse 4, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. This veil has been rent in Christ. Do you realize when the Bible says that we have an opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies, we come into the very presence of God through Jesus Christ, His Son. We come into the very presence of God based on an imputed righteousness that's been given to us because Christ bore our sins at Calvary. Christ died for us and rose again the third day. We have been justified before a holy God. Nothing can separate us from God. Nothing, not even yourself. Not even you can separate yourself from God. And so when we look at the tearing of the veil, it signifies the way into God's presence, which is now open to all through the new and the living way. Look at the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness. Notice who he addresses here. We're talking about brethren. We're talking about believers. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus. That's the only way we can enter into the holiness. Through the blood of Jesus. The Bible says, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, here's the veil. 
That is to say, his flesh, Christ. Look what he says here. And having a high priest over the house of God. Who is our high priest? Christ. Christ is our high priest. Look what he has done for us. Verse 22 of Hebrews 10. Let us draw near with a true heart, full of assurance of faith. How do we have that full assurance of faith? Some people say, how do you know what you believe to be absolutely true? Because the Holy Spirit has confirmed it in my heart. This is the word of God. Hear ye in, God says. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. He came and died the death for me. The death of death and the death of Christ. That is the power of God unto salvation. That is Christ and Christ alone that saves a wretch as such as me. And I know and believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ died for me. And one day I will die, but one day I will be more alive than I've ever been because I will be risen just as Christ was risen from the dead. Death will have no power. Death will be the final enemy. But I have overcome death in Christ. For Christ has overcome death. He has risen and he sits at the right hand of the Father. Is this not your Christ? Is that not your Christ? But look what he says here. Again, let us draw near with a true heart, full of assurance, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We're clean before God. We think about justification. What do we know for sure? Justification means God declared us righteous in Christ. That means I stand wholly righteous before God the Father in Christ. I can never stand before God the Father on how good of a person I have been. I can never stand before God the Father based upon the merit and all the good things I have done. Surely God will accept me into his heaven. There is only one acceptance, and that is only through Christ, and that is only through repentance and faith in Christ alone. How do we know that? He died for me. They say, well, I don't believe in that man that died upon no cross. It's because of the hardness of your own heart. Listen to me. There's no such thing as a true atheist. Because I don't believe in God. I want you to know they're a fool. Of course they believe in God. They worship something. It's in our nature to worship. It's innate. It's there. But to a child of God, Christ is everything to us. I mean, the fact that it tears right here from the top to the bottom, this shows no person could have split the veil. But God did it. God rent that veil from top to bottom. God opened up the new and living way. And we know it to be Christ and Christ alone. And we know we have a lot to be thankful for. And we have been born again and we have been given a new heart. We are Christ forever his. We know that death will not separate us from Christ. We know death will come for all of us. Death is coming for you. But one day we will be more alive than we've ever been to us that are found only in Christ. That's what your Bible says. Not afraid of it, not at all. But look what happened here at the death of Christ. Verse 52, back into our text. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose. Now I want you to know that only Matthew records this. It's not recorded anywhere else and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city, Jerusalem, and appeared unto many. 
Matthew alone mentions this miracle. There's not another account given in the New Testament. Nothing is more said about these people. Nothing. Do they read the Bible? You know, nothing is more said about these people. Now, this is pretty interesting, though, because out of the graves, after his resurrection, they came out. They went where? To the holy city and appeared unto many. But when you think about this, even though nothing is more said about these people, so we have to be very careful of adding into here and making our own dialogue. And it would be unlikely if they remained on earth for long, yet the Bible doesn't say. Evidently, these people were given glorified bodies, which we will have one day. This old wreck of a body will die and go to dust, but one day I will have a glorified body, and I will be sinless in Christ. But they appeared to many. Isn't that something? I mean, enough to establish the reality of the miracle after Christ's death. The Bible says very clearly, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. There's no doubt that at that point they must have ascended to glory with a glorified body. And really, when you think about that, what do we find? It's almost like a foretaste of a rapture. It really is. Remember, the Bible says there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. I don't know about you, but that's pretty amazing. And people say, well, you know, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in going to church. I don't really need to go to church to be a Christian. All that kind of nonsense. Of people speaking in ignorance because they don't know what the Word of God says. People saying all kinds of things that are not biblically accurate, nor are they true. And yet we know one day every man will give an account of his life. For I sent my son to redeem my people, and ye rejected and turned from him, and blasphemed the very name of my son whom I sent. You have the wrath of me that's going to consume you for all eternity. How do we know that? Because that's what the Bible says. But you know what's interesting here to those that were there in verse 54, back into our text. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake, this was an earthquake like no other. Maybe it was a 10, magnitude of 10. Maybe it shook the whole world. But look what he says here. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. Now that's very interesting. I mean, these men were probably under the centurion's charge. No doubt about that. In Matthew 15, verse 39, And when the centurion which stood over against them saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. That's very interesting because the centurion was one of the most uttered words of confession. You see a man that has behold the miracles that were before him. You see a man that was absolutely full of fear in his heart. He knew this is God's son. 
And he spoke for all his men as well. You must understand that the fear speaks as an absolute awareness of their sin. We have been partakers of this crucifixion of the Son of God. What must we do? Kind of like the book of Acts gives us that account. I mean, the word truly suggests and the conviction shows genuine faith. This is the Son of God. And these men represent an answer to Christ's prayer. Remember in Luke 23, verse 34, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. He's talking about these men. Forgive them, for they know not what they do, as they parted his raiment and cast lots. Forgive them. And the Father, listen to me, the Father always answers the Son's prayers. And He, the Son, makes intercession for us. That should be very comforting to you. Their response contrasts sharply with their mockery that was going on. Are you a centurion soldier? Do you mock and laugh? At this God, the Son of Man who came to die for sinners. I mean, this has expressed a terror that fell upon the centurion. These men were not wimpy men. These are soldiers. But they had their eyes open to see something they never thought they would see. But if we live to him, let us with an eye of faith. Now think about this. Behold Christ in him crucified and be affected with such a great love wherewith he loved us before the foundation of the world. We can understand the verses there in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Us are believers before the foundation of the world. You have to understand that. Even as we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what your Bible state. And so when you look here, you realize the centurion had a massive awareness of their sin, of what they had partook in, in the crucifixion of the Son of God. And God opened the eyes of their heart to behold their wicked sin. And behold, with a confession by their mouth, they said, truly, truly, this was the Son of God. When you and I were born again, we came to the same understanding Truly, truly, this is the Christ who died for me by the power and working of the Holy Spirit. And nowhere else can you come to that understanding for it is Christ that saves. Salvation is of the Lord and he opens the eyes of our heart and we see Christ for who he really was. And immediately we repent of our sins and embrace Christ as Lord of our lives. And a demonstration of our love to him is through the obedience of our faith by following Christ at all counts. Come back into our text, verse 55. And many women were there, beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, and among which was Mary Magdalene. 
She had been delivered from seven demons. And she was forgiven much. And she loved much. And the word and the word of God makes mention of her, Mary Magdalene. A testimony to all women for all eternity. And the other was Mary, as you look here, the mother of James and Joseph. But think about this as you look at these women. The mother of James the less. Remember in Mark chapter 15, verse 40, and there were also women looking afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James the less, and Joseph and Salome. The mother of Zebedee's children. I mean, this is the mother of James and John. The women are there. Isn't that something? They're right there. They're watching afar off. They love their Lord, their Savior. There's no doubt about that. And in John 19, 26, the Bible says, And when Jesus therefore saw his mother, don't want to lose out Mary, the mother of Christ, and the disciples standing by, by whom he loved, John, that's the disciple whom he loved. It's referred to him over and over and over again. He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Even at this moment, Christ took care of his mother. And John was responsible for the rest of her life. But what do we learn that Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was present at the cross. She knew this hour would come. Probably standing apart from these three Marys, a lot of Marys here in the book of, in the Bible for sure, who were looking from afar off, but they could not watch his sufferings. Neither could they bear to leave him because of their love to him. Child of God, when you look at everything that's been written in the pages of Scripture for us, when you realize and understand the power of the gospel, the transformation of the heart to you and I that believe with all our heart, our mind, and our soul. What do we know for sure? Christ came to die for me. He rose again from the dead for me. We're not afraid nor are we ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know there's only one person that can change a heart and it is God himself. But you and I should never be ashamed because when I say that Christ died for our sin, I say he died for all our sin. And what I mean by the word all is every believer that will ever believe is wholly justified by Christ. He died for us, rose again from the dead the third day, sits at the right hand of the Father. That's why the ascension is also vitally important. Because when Christ ascended up to the Father, the Father accepted the perfect sacrifice in behalf of all that will believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sat at the right hand of the Father. And he still is there today for us. Amen. And he makes intercession for us. And so when you look at the word of God and you think of what he has done for us, what could you do for him that he hasn't done for you.